But um, we've been talking a lot about grace, and I've been wanting to move out of it, but I just can't hardly move out of it. So I want to speak to you this morning just an identity statement, because we've covered a lot. We've talked about being forgiven and anointed. We've, talking about, we've talked about being chosen. Uh, we've talked about being the beloved. We've talked about being children of God in the very image of God. And all these identity statements, and even in our small groups, we've honestly been talking a lot about identity, who we are in Christ. And even this past week, if you were in a small group, a lot of people gave their testimonies this week, man. And it was probably one of the most powerful moments in a small group that I've experienced, just getting to hear people share their stories, the things that they've been through. Because you don't, you don't really know what people are going through, do you? You just, you just assume everybody's doing good, and they even come to church, and they're like, hey, brother, how you doing? It's good to see you. And everybody looks good on the outside. But really, people are going through some things, y'all. Like everybody, every one of us are broken, we're struggling, uh, we've, got, we've got various struggles, maybe we've lost people in our lives, we're dealing with various issues and pain in our life, but God is, is working good in the midst of it. God is showing up and revealing himself as, as, as our peace, as our comforter, as our savior, as our deliverer. And you see God at, at work in people's lives, man, and it is so encouraging, but there's something that happens too when you start sharing your heart with, with people about what you're going through and being honest is, is you have have compassion for these people and you start to feel the love of God for these people and you see that when people have gone through something like I don't know when they've when they've gone through divorce and they're just bearing the weight of the shame of that all you can sense in that moment when they're broken and tears are, are, are flowing from their eyes is how much God loves this person and so there's something that happens whenever we get together, we start to share our hearts with one another as brothers and sisters. But one thing this week that really has come to my mind, and I, I've preached from Psalm 23 a dozen times probably, but the Lord is my shepherd is an identity statement. Would you agree with that? Knowing who God is in your life, not, not just that you're his beloved, but that he is your shepherd and he is guiding your life, he is leading you, he is protecting you, and he cares so much for you that he intends to bring you into a good place so that you can be nurtured, cared for, know that you are loved and that you can be always in his protective hands. And so that's what I want to preach about this morning. And um, a couple of things changed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in Hebrews 13. It was a little intro, but, but I, I, I forgot a couple of announcements. Fall Fellowship got moved from yesterday to next Saturday, the 8th. And that Pastor Appreciation Dinner got moved back another week as well to Sunday, the 16th, after service. So keep that in mind. But let's turn to Hebrews 13 and let's look at this together. Verse 20 and 21, I love what it says here. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought you up, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, I want to read this as well. Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I love that. So let's, let's pray together over this word this morning. Father, we just acknowledge your presence here with us this morning. We acknowledge that Holy Spirit, you are at work in all of our lives. 
And Lord God, we come to you completely dependent, broken. Many of us hurting, God. Many of us going through difficult seasons in our life. Lord, just wondering where you're at in all of this. But God, we know that your word says that you are our great shepherd. You are the overseer of our souls. And you love us more than we could ever imagine. You have good intentions for our lives, God. You've got good things prepared for us. And Lord Jesus, you've sent us the Holy Spirit so that we could hear your word and it would breathe life into our souls, that we could experience freedom, that we could get direction, that we could be fed and nourished, challenged and encouraged at the same time, God, and we could become more like Jesus every single day of our lives. So Lord, we just surrender our lives to you this morning. We open our hearts to you, God. We ask that your word would take root in our hearts and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just really believe that God wants you to not just know, but truly believe that he loves you more than you could ever imagine. I, I, I want you to understand that, and I know that that's God's heart for our people, especially when we're dealing with so many people that are, that are going through so many things in life. They need to know this God that loves them, that is a shepherd. And one of the things is that the most frequent expression of God in the Bible is actually that of a shepherd. You've got master and servant. It talks about God being the potter and us being the clay. It talks about him being the workman and us being the workers. Like there's all kinds of different illustrations. It even says he's a refuge, he's a rock, he's a redeemer. But the greatest, the most used illustration of God in the Bible is that of a shepherd. And sadly, we don't know a lot of shepherds around today because we, we, actually we know car salesmen now and stuff like that. So, and, and God's not a car salesman, amen. He's, he's a shepherd. And so we have to understand a little bit about what that means. But the scripture says that we just read that we were all like sheep going astray, but we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And it says right there in those verses that it is directly connected to our healing. That by his stripes you were healed and you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Because here's the thing. When you understand that God is your shepherd, that he cares for you, he nurtures you. He protects you. He wants to lead you and guide you. He's always bringing you into a place where he wants you to experience healing spiritually, mentally and emotionally and even physically. Because so many people are broken. This is why we even said in small groups this week that when Jesus said the spirit of the Lord is upon me he's, a, he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor and the afflicted the very next thing that he says he's come to do is what? To heal the broken hearted. And so he understands that human beings are broken in need of not just a Savior, but they need healing. They need inner healing. And, and he is the shepherd that comes to heal us when we're broken. And the Jews understood this. In Ezekiel 34, there was a prophecy about how all of the shepherds were not shepherding the people of God in Israel the way that they should have. They weren't feeding them rightly. They weren't mending them. They weren't going after the lost sheep. And God prophesies about a shepherd that will come through the line of David that will shepherd his sheep the way that God intended, and that is Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, the great overseer of our souls. Now, I don't know if that encourages you that God actually says that you're a sheep. A lot of people say sheep are dumb, you know, amen? Say, well, maybe that, maybe that is me, I mean. Um, but goats, you know, a lot of times in contrast, God will contrast sheep from goats. He says that the great judgment, he's actually going to separate the sheep from the goats, if you look into it a little bit, what you'll find is that goats are oftentimes a little bit stubborn and independent. Sheep need guidance. They need direction. They're totally dependent. 
And some people will say that they're a little bit dumb, but i got to be honest with you. I would rather be dumb and led by the Lord than smart and independent and cut off from God. Because what I recognize is that I need God every day of my life. In my family life, the way I treat my family, the attitude that I have. If I'm going to pastor a church and deal with people, sometimes people that don't agree with me or sometimes people that are mad at me or angry at me or whatever. If I'm going to deal with people and love them, I need the Holy Spirit. I need to depend on God because I don't know what I'm doing in the next season of my life. From week to week, from month to month, from year to year, I have no idea where I'm going. I can have plans, but those plans have always changed. But what I've found is that if I will depend on the Lord, He has never forsaken me. He has always led me exactly where he wanted me to be. And so we are the sheep of his, of his pasture. We are the ones that follow him and that's what he's called us to be. And it's really an issue of lordship. Because I want you to understand that sheep, if they are without guidance and without leadership, they are very vulnerable to attack and even death. There's a bunch of wild beasts out there, y'all. A bunch of wolves. A bunch of beasts that are always seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you are left alone and you're vulnerable, all of a sudden things can keep creep in and destroy you, whether it be depression or loss without encouragement, or it could be that somebody has hurt you so deeply uh, that you don't, you, you don't know how to reconcile. But see, God comes alongside of us and mends our wounds and says, this is the direction that you should go. This is the path that you should follow. He's our shepherd. And in Psalm 23, we know that Psalm is probably the most popular Psalm that there is. But David most likely wrote this psalm as a shepherd boy when he was about 16 or 17 years old. Matter of fact, when God called Samuel to go anoint him to be king, where'd they find him at? He was out taking care of his father's sheep in Bethlehem. It was, a, it was an image even of Christ because Christ was born in Bethlehem. He was that Lamb of God. And David, you see, protecting the Lamb of God in Bethlehem, the promise to come. And God says, that's the king, the one that nobody thought anything about. He's the one out there. And I imagine that man out there by himself. Because the Bible said that God doesn't look on the outward appearance, but he looks on the heart. And he saw a young man who nobody else dreamt could be king. But God saw his heart because when nobody else was looking, he was worshiping God and singing psalms to him. He was developing a relationship with the king. And as he's shepherding those sheep, he recognizes that I'm not just taking care of these sheep, but see, the way that I care for these sheep, the way that I nurture them, the way that I keep them safe and I fend off wolves and lions and bears is the same way that God is the shepherd of my soul. And he begins to say in Psalm 23, 1, he says, first off in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, how many of you, you want some things in life? Amen. Matter of fact, every time I meet with somebody, they're like, you know, I'd like to have this. Would you pray for me to have this? Like, we have some wants, don't we? We have some desires. Oftentimes, those wants are physical. They're material. Sometimes those wants have to do with, well, I need a better job. And we talked a lot about this even in identity. We want certain things because we think if we have these things, they will give us identity and make us feel secure and feel better about ourselves. And then we'll be satisfied. And we want things. And he said, no, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Another way to say it is I shall not lack. In other words, he's saying first and foremost, when you understand that the Lord is the one that is overseeing your soul, the Lord is the one that is guiding your life, it's a good thing to have some desires. Not a thing wrong with having some desires, but you need to know that if you don't have that thing just yet, it's because God is overseeing your soul and he knows exactly what you need when you need it. And you will never be in lack as long as you're following him. 
As long as you're following him, there may be some times that it seems like you have life. But let me tell you something. God knows things about your life ahead of time. He knows what's going to be here next year and the year after. And every time, here's one of the things that's interesting about all the testimonies I heard in my small group. Is that once people go through the suffering and the process and the pain, even though it's not, the wounds may not be completely healed, we don't look back and say even when that happened it was a good thing. But we do see that God was in it and God is still in it and he's still mending things and he's still changing things. And when we look back we can see the hand of God saying this was good. God was doing something that we didn't fully understand. And because the Lord is my shepherd, I'm not going to lack any good thing. He will provide for me in abundance when I need that abundance. He's going to give me joy, peace, health, provision. What I need, He will give me when I need it. But I need you to understand something. It's not our responsibility to provide. That's the job of the shepherd. A sheep don't go around looking for what he's going to eat. He follows the shepherd. And the shepherd provides for him what he's going to eat. A sheep doesn't go around looking how we're going to build some shelter and get up under the weather and take care of ourselves. That's not the sheep's job. The sheep's job is to follow the shepherd and the shepherd will lead him into shelter. The shepherd will lead him into green pastures. But the problem is, is about like sheep, the rest of us sheep, we're always looking for greener pastures, aren't we? Always looking for the better. At the right time, our shepherd will lead us into the greenest pastures if we're willing to follow him. Verse 2, it says that our shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, I kind of like that because sometimes I got to be made to lay down. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I kind of imagine the shepherd just looking over. He's like, lay down. And I'm like, no, I'm going to get over here and do something. And then he gives me like an elbow drop. No, lay down. Because what you don't realize is that you're running yourself ragged. The pace of our world is go here, go there, do this, do that, make more money, do as much as you can possibly do in a day's time, and the pace of our life is almost beyond our ability to keep up. And every single one of us are on the verge of burnout all the time. Matter of fact, even when we schedule things at church, it's this constant thing of like, are we putting too much on people with the pace of life that things are going on? Because even within church, you need to find the healthy rhythms of God. Church and, 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 and activities like that are to nurture you and not to burden you. You understand that? Like church functions should be to nurture you, strengthen you in the Lord, develop a stronger relationship so that you can continue that throughout the week. But church should never be a burden for the people of God. It should actually be a place where you can come and lay down and rest in the Lord and receive from the Lord and be encouraged and strengthened and nurtured. And so it says that He makes them lie down in green pastures. God wants you to rest inwardly. You know, one of the names of God in the Old Testament is, is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God that heals you. You realize that? In Exodus, He revealed Himself as the Lord God that heals you. The word Rapha has a root Hebrew word to it that's Rapha, actually. Y'all love them words. I know you do. But the word there, the root word of healing is relax. In other words, one of the best ways that you can receive healing from the Lord is to come into a place of peace and relaxation where you realize this is not something you have to muster up. This is something that you can receive from your Father who loves you and is your healer. Amen. And so you can do a hundred things, but you can do a hundred things and not be healthy. 
You can be here and there, scattered everywhere, and God is saying, I need you to come to a place where you lie down in green pastures. You need to know your limits, and when you're truly rested in Christ, the Lord will show you your portion, that this is where you need to be. This is the step that you need to take. But I think sometimes when we're unaware of where we're going and we're trying to make things happen, we get frantic and confused, and we're wondering, well, God's not showing me anything. Well, God's not showing me anything. It may be that He wants you to lay down in that green pasture and feed for a while so that He can nurture your soul and then he will show you your portion in the proper place at the proper time. Amen. Just good so far. Y'all with me? I kind of like, I feel relaxed this morning. This is relaxing. Y'all look like, you know what? You don't need to tell us, buddy. We are relaxed. But you know, the thing is, under shepherds, pastors, they are supposed to help you lie down in green pastures. They're supposed to help you lie down so that you can rest, you can receive healing, and you can be nourished. But see, you can't just run wild all the time. You actually got to find a place where you tuck in your feet, you get in the Word of God, and you come and you eat. Because shepherds can lead you to green pastures, but you'll never be nourished if you don't eat. Amen. You can have all these green pastures to feed from, but if you don't choose to put your mouth down to the ground and eat, then you're not going to receive it. And it's the same story that we said about Mary and Martha. Martha was running around troubled and anxious and worried about everything in her life, trying to make sure stuff was happening, going to and fro, trying to provide something for Jesus. And she said, Jesus, tell Mary to come in here and help me. And she says, look, Martha, you're, you're, you're anxious you're troubled about many things. You get tore up a little bit too easy. But Mary has chosen the one thing that is needed and do not take from her that portion. What was she doing? She was lying down at his feet, receiving his word, feasting on his word, eating from that good green pasture. Amen. Because everything in our lives, I'm telling you, the overflow of our lives is simply because you're going to be able to take a moment to rest before God, open your Bible, and feed on the green pastures of his word. That right there is half the battle of your life. So many of us are dealing with so many different things. And I'm telling you, one of the cures to that would be to take a moment and lay down at Jesus' feet and just hear his word saturate your soul. Open your Bible and let that nourish you and feed you. If, if you say, well, I have a hard time reading, pop open, get on a podcast and listen to the word of God and let it nourish your soul and be fed by the word of God. And that's what he's saying. That is the one thing that is needed. But we get distracted. We get anxious. We get troubled about many things. And he's saying, no, you need to stop. You need to chill out. You need to relax. You need to lie down in this pasture. You need to receive the good portion. And it says that he makes us lie down in what? Green pastures. Not no old hay dried up pasture. You know what I'm talking about? If you play at Big Hickory, it ain't the fifth green. He ain't making you lie down there. He said, no, come over here to hole six. There's some green pastures out through here. Because sometimes we get some chemicals on our pastures, and it's like, that ain't going to be good enough to eat. We may get toxic in this eating this stuff. He says, but I'm going to make you lie down in fresh vegetation. Because the other thing is that the Lord wants you to have a fresh word. I don't, I don't know if you, if you understand this, but like in each season of my life, I go through challenges just like the next person. 
And what I'm looking for is I'm not just looking for a scripture or a word that I can preach to you all. I'm looking for something that is going to nourish my soul throughout the week. And sometimes that may come out on a Sunday morning, but sometimes it may just be something for me while I'm going through what I'm going through because I need a fresh word and the Lord always brings me into something fresh that nourishes my soul through that season. But it's green, it's fresh, and it represents the new covenant. Because the new covenant, the word that God gives us is not, hey, you're a sinner, you need to provide for God, you need to earn your place before God. No, he's saying, no, you need to look at what Jesus has provided for you because now there's nothing blocking you from the Father. You can come to his table and you can dine and you can be nourished at your weakest point. And when you're struggling and when you're weak and when you're frail and afflicted, come and dine at the master's table. Receive from this pasture. This is the new covenant. I have a fresh word for you. This is what God wants for you. Now there's a Hebrew homonym, which basically just means it's the same meaning, same word. But shepherd can also be translated in the Hebrew, best friend. Sometimes they call, them, call these people shepherds. They call their best friend the same word. Isn't that amazing? Because Jesus is not just one that wants to lead you, but he is your best friend. And when you have a relationship with God, this is, this is what probably, probably one of the greatest compliments anybody ever gave me one time is they said, you know what I feel like? I just feel like God is your friend. And I said, you know what? That's right. He is my friend. He's my heavenly father. He is my Lord. He's my savior. He's my king. He is the master of my life. But he is also my friend. He has a conversation with me. He, he knows when I'm, he knows all my weaknesses and loves me anyway. Like he sees the worst part of me on my worst days and comes alongside of me and has a conversation and lifts me up and encourages me and takes me to scripture and says, son, this is what you need. This is what you need to hear. And he loves on me and he cares for me and he gives me the strength to go ahead when I don't think I can make it any further because he is my friend. But we must learn to rest in this pasture of God's word. And I'm going to just encourage some people right now. Take some time to meditate in God's word because... I know all of us right now, some, we got Netflix, we got Hulu, we got YouTube TV, and we spend hours upon hours upon hours ingesting these things into our souls. Can y'all amen me this morning? Now, we just do. And then you get on your phone, and you spend hours upon hours upon hours upon hours on Facebook. And if you've been on there recently, you know that people have been going to war on Facebook and having battles lately, and that's always fun. Really good for your soul. How many of y'all, you, you just scroll on in and you get done and you say, oh my gosh, man, I just feel so good. That has blessed my soul. Facebook has really blessed me. I'm going to make a strong argument. Now, I'm, I'm not a legalistic guy. I'm not saying get rid of all these things, but I'm saying especially at this hour in life, because I see some crazy things on the tube, y'all. And at this hour in life, you would be wise to sometimes turn those things off and feast in the pasture of God's Word and learn to meditate on the Word of the Lord. It will steal your soul. You're, trying, you're wondering, why am I depressed? Why am I anxious? Why am I so tore up? And I'm telling you, because you've been in the wrong pasture. 
You've been eaten over in something else, feeding your soul with something that can only make you anxious and nervous and tore up. And I've been in that same pasture, y'all. I've been feeding on that same food before. And every now and then the Lord says, you need to quit eating there. You need to come over here and get in my word and let this good stuff mull over in your mind and it will reroute the way you think. And when you lay down at night, there's going to be peace for you and you're going to get sleep and you're going to get rest and you're going to wake up refreshed because you've been in my word. Meditate. On the word of the Lord. I, I read actually a, a guy that did a scientific study and they were actually t doing. So he sits there with all these electrodes or whatever hooked up to his brain and they're measuring brain activity. And actually, as, if, he, if, he just had, if he just had his phone near him, his brain activity decreased. When he picks it up, it would activate for a minute, but then it would stead, steady out and then decrease again. When he put the phone out of the room, get this, and started quoting Psalm 23 and meditating on it slowly, his brain activity intensified to some of the highest levels. And they, they were talking about in this, in one of the reasons that they did this, some of the highest creative le levels. There was a guy named Tommy Reed in Buffalo, New York. He was a businessman. He, he, he was involved in the church. And he said that he, he, had, he was very successful and he had all these wild ideas in and, 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 and church and even in business. And, he, and they asked him what was his secret. And he said, well, my secret is when I need something from the Lord, when I need direction or decision making, he said, I'll just sit down in a quiet place. And he said, I'll, I'll slowly, real slowly, just quote Psalm 23 verse by verse and I'll imagine myself in God's pasture and in God's field and I'll see Jesus there shepherding me and in the middle of that pasture I'll see things come to the surface in front of me and I'll know the direction to take. Imagine that. But see, we don't, we don't take time to actually feed in God's pasture. Now, right now, this morning, what you're doing is hopefully I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to give you some food to feast on right now right? As, God, as, God's, as God's sheep. And, and it should nourish your soul. But I'm telling you, there's a place where you go in yourself and you receive that because you're meditating on God's Word. Verse 2, it says, not only does He make you lie down in green pastures, but He leads me beside still waters. Now, these are still waters, but they ain't stagnant waters, right? Naomi all the time goes up to stagnant waters. It's got like a layer of mold on top of it. And she put a cup in, take it down. I'm like, man, that one, she has got like a really good immune system at this point. Like homemade penicillin in the backyard, you know what I'm saying? Go up and hit a puddle face down, stagnant waters. Those aren't the waters the Lord leads us to. He leads us to still refreshing cool waters with a nice stream. But the word there for still is this word manuka, and it means resting place and quietness. Resting place and quietness. And there's a place with the Lord. You remember when the Lord spoke to Elijah, he had to get away from everything. And then he heard a voice. It wasn't the fire, it wasn't the earthquake, it wasn't the wind. But all of a sudden, what was it? A still, small voice. A manuka voice. A voice that appears very silent in the resting place. Amen. How many of you want to hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you through His Word? Get to a quiet resting place and all of a sudden you begin to hear the still small voice in your heart. God beginning to speak to you. And He wants to bring us into that place where we have that resting and that quietness. And I'll say this. When many of you, you'll have decisions you'll be trying to make. So, so many of us all the time, I need to know this or I need to know that. I need to know where to go. Where the, 
God leads us primarily through His Word, but sometimes the Word itself doesn't tell you which job to take. Or You know what I'm saying? Like the Word, you, you ain't going to get a verse on things like that. But you can pray and things will come to your mind. And when you're, when you're decision making, God will lead you through the peace. He says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let it act as an umpire, whether it's safe or whether it's out. And you follow that. Because whenever you are tore up about something and anxious and worried and fearful, you need to get back into that quiet place and say, Lord, why am I so fearful? Why am I so anxious? Find that place of rest and quietness. And when you have peace, then you can know the decision to make. And God leads us by these still waters, not chaotic waters. He's not leading you through the chaos of life. That's why when everybody else is going wild and fighting, we as Christians, we don't react. We stop and we think and we pray and then we prayerfully respond. Because we're not led by the chaotic waters. We're not led by the chaos of this world and by everybody's reactions. We respond based on the peace of the Holy Spirit. And then it says in verse 3 that He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. See, your soul can get really jacked up, y'all. Sometimes, I'll, like I said, I, you'll find something on TV that you'll watch and it will mess your soul up. Negativity will come into your soul. Certain things will come into your soul. Maybe, maybe something that happens in your life. Maybe some, the way that somebody treats you. All of a sudden your soul is, is it's just it's tumultuous. And, and you've got all these waves of the sea crashing into your soul. And he says, no, I want you to come back and I want to give restoration for your soul. I want to give peace to your mind, to your will, to your emotions and bring you back and breathe this fresh air, this fresh life that will make your mind come into a place of peace. And when He does that, He leads us in the paths of righteousness. Now righteousness, righteousness is actually a gift in the New Testament. We talked about that, right? We take off our sin and we become the righteousness of God in Christ whenever we put faith in Christ. He gifts it to us. That means the day that we believe in Jesus, the moment that we put faith in Christ, we become the righteousness of God in Christ. He clothes us with a robe of righteousness so that when God the Father looks at us, He says, that one that's coming before me is not judged based on their sins. They're now judged based on the merit of Christ when He died for them on the cross. And that's a beautiful thing. But see, He leads us in paths that lead us into a life that represents that righteousness, that represents that holiness of God. And there's a couple of pics I had on here. I, I, I couldn't find the ones that I wanted, so I just threw some up. I figured we'd have fun with it. I'm just trying to take my time this morning. Would you throw those, the, the pics of the, of the sheep up maybe there? Yeah, so here's, there's paths of righteousness. Now here's some paths. What would happen is in the Hebrew, the word for paths, there's also circles. And the way that they would lead, they even had this language for it, that, that if a shepherd was leading sheep up a mountain, they would walk around the mountain in circles. And a lot of times, I mean, if you're a sheep, you feel like you're going nowhere because you're just going. But if they went straight up the mountain, it would, it would hurt the sheep. There'd be a greater chance for them to trip, fall, and go straight down. So they created paths that were easy for the sheep, that they went around in circles, and it was called the circles of righteousness. And it led to the top, and the top of the place was called hope. 
And what I want you to understand is that the paths that God has for us may be difficult at times. There are some savage wolves out there that come in to attack on occasion. There's some bad footing where we may krill an ankle on occasion. It seems like sometimes in your life you're going in circles, but I promise you the good shepherd is leading you up higher every day of your life and he intends to take you to a place of hope at the top where you have a joyful expectation of very good things to come in your life. He always is leading us to a place of hope. And in those paths of righteousness, it may be a long journey, but we're learning how to walk properly. Amen. The next, go to the next one here. See, and here's like zigzags. I couldn't find the circles, but it's, it's real, I promise. Google's only so powerful, y'all. But see how they're zigzagging going up because they had to go up in a proper manner, not straight up the hill. And then go to the next one right there. I like that one. No, look at those concentric circles. Now that's actually called a table where they would put food in the center and they would gather around in circles for various reasons. But I wanted to let you look at that because he's leading us in paths of righteousness. Now get this, for his namesake. For his namesake. The reason God is leading you, I, I need you to understand this, that Christianity is not about you having the American dream. I thank God that He blesses us with kids and we get to have homes and we get to have good careers and He supplies what we need and we have some money to buy some nice things and God wants us to enjoy life. But that is not the end goal of life. God is not here to give us what we want. We are here to glorify God with whatever He chooses to give us. Amen. And He wants to bless us. He doesn't want to withhold any good thing from His children. No question about it. But there's something far greater than whatever you can gain in this life. And it is becoming like Christ and living for His glory so that you actually reveal His very nature. When you go through down times, you reveal God's nature. When you're in pain and you're questioning God, even through that you push through and you find the right hand of God and you hold on to Him and He strengthens you and you reveal the good faithfulness and, and the nature of God. And people start to see the nature of God through your life because He's leading you in these paths for His name's sake. Amen. The world doesn't need our achievements. It needs our heart to be full of the love of God, to be full of the goodness of God, to see that we are led by this great shepherd. John 10, it says this. And it's so interesting because when Jesus says this, He says this to a bunch of Pharisees. A bunch of religious leaders with people standing around. Amen. So if you've got all the pastors in the community, Jesus starts to speak to them. And He says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now it says that Jesus is the shepherd, and he's even the door. He's not just a good man or a prophet. He is the only Savior of the world. He is both the feeder and the food. Amen. He is the great shepherd of our souls. And I want you to understand that the devil always wants to undermine who, who Christ truly is in your life. 
He wants you to have a different understanding of what it means to be shepherded, to be cared for. He wants to always bring in another voice other than the voice of the Holy Spirit. But he says to him, the doorkeeper opens and they come in and out and they find pasture. The Holy Spirit is the doorkeeper and he comes in. And so you can even hear a message this morning and the doorkeeper, the Holy Spirit, will open that door and reveal Jesus to you. He'll open that door in your life and He will show you the reality of who Christ is in your life. Now, I love this passage of Scripture because before He gets into it, you've got you to know the context. In John chapter 9, which is obviously for you mathematicians, before John chapter 10. And in John chapter 9, Jesus comes upon this man that has been born blind from birth. And Jesus comes up to him. And I love what he does because he takes some dirt out of the ground, spits in it, makes a big goober, and then he rubs it in this guy's eyes. And I'm thinking, Jesus, you're the only dude I let do that to me. Ain't nobody else spitting on me like that. But Jesus puts it in his eyes and he says, now go down to the pool of Siloam and wash. And if you look at the context of this, I'm going to read into it a little bit, but this has a lot to do in, this, in the context of John 9 and 10 with dead religion and blind religious leaders. And he says you need to go down to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And what he's trying to help the religious leaders understand in the full context of John chapter 9 and 10 is you don't realize that you too are blind, that you need a Savior. That you are a sinner just as much as these people that are broken and you don't see your need in your self-righteousness and your own pride and you're shutting people out of these doors because you come with a different voice, a false religion and you're not leading people into the good pasture. You're not shepherding these people the way God has sent you to shepherd them. Now notice this. He goes down to the pool of Siloam, which means sent, because it represents the fact that we're actually sent to the people that are blind, and we are blind ourselves and need this revealed, right? And so he goes down there, he washes, he comes back seeing, and all of the people are amazed. And people are like, man, I thought, that this, is this the same guy? Some people say, well, I think it's the same guy. It looks like him, but I don't know how it could be him, because we know that boy was blind from birth. Well, then they call the Pharisees over, the religious leaders, and they get all upset about it. They're like, what are you talking about? Are you sure? How did you get healed? I mean, have you really been blind from birth? Tell us what happened. And the guy tells him, look, this guy came. He put, made some mud out of some spittle. He sent me down to the pool of Siloam. I washed. I came back seeing. And they get all tore up and say, no, no, no. This man is a sinner. He said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. What I do know is I was blind and now I see. It's just like some religious leaders, right? To come in and ruin what Jesus wants to do in a broken man's life. Amen. Just like some. And so then they said, well, you know what? You want to know? Call his parents in because now we're doubting whether or not he was blind. The parents come in and the religious leaders start talking to the parents. Was this boy really blind from birth? And he, they say, look, here's the thing. He's of age. You talk to him. He was blind, but they were afraid of being cast out of the synagogue because they said to them, whoever says that this Jesus is the Christ will be cut off from the synagogue. No longer allowed in the church, basically. We don't want y'all here if you're going to come around saying that stuff. So they were afraid because to be cut off from the synagogue was basically to be an outcast. The, the whole meaning of life for a Jew was to be able to worship Yahweh in the synagogue, in the temple. And so they were, they were going to be cut off, right? 
And so they're all tore up about it, and the boy, the, they, they ask him again, and he basically says, look, man, why you keep asking me? I've already told you what's happened here. Do you want to be his disciples too? And they, say, they get all mad and they say, you were born in sin. And they, get all, you know, and they start calling him a sinner and all this, calling him an illegitimate child and, and, and get all upset because, because, of course, they're religious leaders and they've got this, this righteousness to uphold. And it comes down to this moment, and I love it, because they cast him out. They cast him out of dead religion. Can I tell you this, folks? If you get cast out of dead religion, consider yourself lucky. If you get caught cast out of a dead false religious form, consider yourself lucky. If you get cast out of a church who is not honoring and glorifying Jesus the way that He should and representing Christ in the way that they should, consider yourself blessed and lucky. And so He comes and this guy's schooling them. Jesus finds Him outside because now He's been cast out. Jesus goes up to Him and says, Look, he says, do you believe in the Son of God? He says, who is He? He says, I'm the one that's speaking with you. He said, Lord, I believe. And He worshiped, worshiped Him. Then the Pharisees get even angrier and they come up to Jesus and Jesus immediately begins to speak to them about the Good Shepherd because He's confronting the fact that those religious leaders were supposed to be leading the people of Israel but instead of leading them into green pastures they were using another voice and Satan had actually infiltrated the religious system. Would you agree with that? You know that the harshest rebukes that Jesus had for anybody were for religious leaders. You realize that? The harshest rebukes that Jesus had were not for the prostitutes. It wasn't for the drunkards. It wasn't even for the lepers or the people cast out of the temple. It was for the religious leaders who made those broken people feel like they weren't welcome in the arms of God. Amen. Y'all with me this morning? And so in John 10, 10, when Jesus says this in its context, it says the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He's not just simply talking about the devil here. He's speaking in context that the devil actually uses false religious systems to steal from people, to kill people, and to destroy people. And he says, but I've not come to bring a false religious system. I've come as the one true God to say if you worship me I will set you free from your sins. I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I will take your shame away. I'll give you a new heart and a new mind. I'll give you a new life and you will be my sheep and you will come in and rest and lay down in green pastures. This is a new life and he says that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy but I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep but a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Because the enemy will use sometimes false religion to steal from us, to kill and to destroy. In Psalm 23, 4 it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. Now this is interesting because two times so far in the psalm, he says, he leads me twice. But then all of a sudden he switches it and he's no longer leading me. And he says, yo, yea, even though I walk. Because oftentimes we stop following the shepherd and we start walking our own path. You ever done that? And I, I read a little something about how when shepherds would, I couldn't find another picture, man. Google really let me down this week. 
But, there, but, but I imagine it like this because I saw these hills with dark valleys in it. And sometimes one sheep would kind of stray aside and go down into a valley where it was dark. And when they're alone without their shepherd in the dark, they are prime prey for a beast to come out, for a wolf to come out and eat them up. And I noticed that because it says sometimes we walk in these valleys. You put that next picture up there. See, there's a, that's me right there, y'all. That's when the Lord saw me, and he came out and he got me. Go to the next one. I don't even know what I got up there. I got like three. See, but here, here's like a valley that he's leading through, but because they're all bunched up together, there's no one astray, right? They are protected by their shepherds. So even if they go through this valley, they turn that corner not knowing what's on the other side. They're protected. Why? Because their shepherd is sitting there somewhere with a staff, and he will whack the fire out of a wolf. <laughs> you better believe Jesus will whack a wolf. I should have called this sermon Whack a Wolf. Next verse, or next slide here. I, like I said, I don't know what all I got up. Now, this is my favorite one. I found this one. And this is, this is me right here, too. I'm the, I'm the white, fluffy guy on top. But this is the Lord, man. You know what the Scripture talks about? Jesus said, you know what? How many of you, having a hundred sheep, one of them leaves, is not going to leave the 99 to go after the one? He says, the Lord doesn't celebrate over 99 righteous people who can sit and look down their noses at the one who is strayed. He doesn't celebrate because you're sitting all in here holy. He celebrates because one, one of them goes out and goes and finds the one that is lost and brings them back into the fold. And then he gets excited. Now don't get me wrong. The Lord loves for us to walk in holiness, but when we walk in true holiness, we have a heart for the one that has gone astray. Because we were that one that has gone astray. We were that one. We were that one that was out there by itself in the middle of nowhere. And the great shepherd and overseer of our souls came and got us in the darkness. And we were so wounded and broken, we couldn't even take the next step. So he just threw us up on his shoulders and said, Son, I will carry you all the way back into the pasture. The Lord did this for me, y'all. And this is what he's saying. The way that Jesus forgives people, it leaves no room for guilt. Only man makes other people feel guilty. We need Jesus' perspective on the lost and broken. He doesn't get excited about 99 righteous looking down their noses at the broken. He gets excited about the one that comes home. He gets excited when the 99 righteous have a heart for that one that's broken, that needs mended. That's when the party breaks out in heaven. I love what it says in Mark 6, 34. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them. Why? Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. He, was, he saw the multitudes of people and he was moved with compassion because he says they're like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Now why do you think he began to teach them? Because when he sees sheep without a shepherd, he knows what do they need. They need food. His word, his teaching is our spiritual nourishment. It is our food. And so even for leaders, you know what Jesus says? Abraham was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. For a while, Moses was a shepherd for 40 years. And even when Jesus, we talked about it last week, when he talks to Peter at the end, what does he say each time? He says, do you love me, Peter? He says, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Because his love language, you know what the Lord loves most about me is that I will feed his sheep. Now, some, i got to be honest with you. <laughs> he may love other stuff more. I don't know. I don't know. 
But I know he loves that. That's his love language. I know that it pleases him when I feed his sheep. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I think probably I've fed the the sheep some dog food on occasion. You know what I'm saying? I don't always do it flawlessly. But the more I develop my relationship with Jesus, I get good food to feed the sheep and take them into green pastures as an under-shepherd. And we should all seek to do this with our family members, with our friends, to help them eat what we're nourishing on so that they can be fed. Now, in Ezekiel 34... Verse 2 through 6, this is actually where, where, where Jesus is drawing this parable that he teaches from about him being the great shepherd because this is the prophecy about Jesus becoming the shepherd of Israel. And here's what it says, notice this. It says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back that which was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. And it goes on to say, but I will shepherd my people. And this was a prophecy about Christ coming to gather his sheep, to gather us all in and to come. And when Jesus shows up, he's the perfect shepherd. He is the perfect combination of both compassion and conviction. I don't know how it is, but Jesus could, could lay out the holiest standard and say this is, how we, this, this is the holiness of God. These are the standards w- with which we live. But at the same time could reach out to sinners and broken and lost people and not make them feel cut off from God. Make them feel loved and invited in and want to be set free and want to experience freedom from sin. Jesus wasn't just looking to change the world or the government, he was looking to change individual hearts. And you know, I kind of question whether or not I'd share this next point, but but I think this this speaks to our community in the time that we're in. Because I really feel like, here's the thing, I don't know if you're aware, most of you probably aren't, and thank God if you aren't, but here in our county here recently, like there's been all this Facebook war over, over something called the Manchester Music Festival. Anybody heard of that, amen? Nobody heard it. So there's kind of been like a war over it. And it's, and it's almost like this. It's almost like people are arguing back and forth as to, as to, you know, most people say, well, the church is just out against these people and, and they hate us and they're just judgmental and critical and harsh and all these things. And, and when, I, when I see these things going on, it just grieves me to my core. And the reason that it grieves me is because I was once on that other side. And I remember being on that other side, but I want to I tell you something. When I was on that other side, I didn't experience harsh, critical judgmentalism from the church. I just didn't. I remember when I was about 17 years old in Lexington, coming out of a bar and a bunch of Christians standing out there, handing me peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and little pocket Bibles. They didn't condemn me for what I was doing. They have a negative word. They smiled at me, me with blurred vision, and they handed me a peanut butter jelly sandwich and a Bible. They didn't protest the bar. They didn't say anything about alcohol. They didn't do any of that. 
And I remember one of those days in Lexington when I come out, I was so inebriated. I was walking down the road, didn't really know where I was at. And I was just a young guy. And I remember a church van driving by, stopped. I thought, well, this is going to kill me. I'm dead. He gets out. He said, man, let me give you a ride home. He could tell I was in bad shape. I stumbled into the back of the van, had a couple of people with me that got in the van with me. And by the time we pulled into where I was staying that night, I was in such bad shape that I vomited all over that church van. Rather than this guy getting mad at me, he helps me out of the van into the house and sets me down and walks out. Doesn't say anything. And I'm thinking, you know, when I get before, to heaven, the Lord's probably going to say, now, Clay, all your sins are forgiven, but you're going to have to pay for that van. <laughs> and here's the thing. In that moment, you know, I was a young man and just kind of stuck in my ways, and I was a sheep gone astray. And, and my thought was, like, in that moment, I don't really feel like it had, like in the moment, it didn't, I took it for granted. Like I, did, I didn't think, oh my gosh, the Lord, he loves me. I didn't feel any of that. But looking back on it now, I recognize that there were so many people strategically placed in my life that showed me the radical love of God when I was in my deepest, darkest spots. They, they, they weren't judgmental. They didn't beat me down. But they wanted to love me in my deepest, darkest spots. And here, here, was the, here was the thing that I have when I see like this stuff going on in our community is you got a ton of people who probably aren't even as in a bad shape as I was in at that point. They really just probably aren't. But yet they see the church as if they were to walk in the doors that we would judge them, criticize them, and say, you ain't welcome here. You're cut off from us because we know what you do. Well, guess what? I'm going to tell you right now. I know what you did because I used to do it. But that ain't the point because here, here's the thing. There's something that changes. I remember th this happened and I sent a text to a guy that was, that was really over the MMF. And I want you to hear this. I sent a text to him. I said, man, when you get a chance, will you give me a call? Because I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to have a conversation with him. And his text back to me was, you don't hate me, do you? Imagine thinking that the pastors in a community hate you. Now, maybe no pastor's meant for that. To, I'm, no, no pastor's meant for that to happen. I, I, don't, I don't doubt it a minute. But my point is, is that we can stand for righteousness. We as a church can pursue holiness while having wiser means of reaching the broken and the lost. And so after I had a conversation, I said, man, far from it do I hate you. I'm calling you to say that I want you to know that our doors are open to you anytime. We will not judge you. We got nothing against you. Our heart is not hard toward you. You know where we stand. I don't have to tell you where I stand when it comes to right living and righteousness and holiness. You know exactly where I stand, but I am not against you. I am for you. I love you. I'm praying for you. And if there's anything I can ever do for you, let me know. And my point is we can have conversations. I had another conversation just this week. Can I give you a few testimonies while I'm here? Because I feel like this, this is how we as a people have to learn how to shepherd a community. Yes, we stand for righteousness. We stand for holiness. But we do it with our lives. And we reach people in different ways. There was a lady that gave a testimony this week that told me, that said, you know what, her husband, or her, her, her son had gotten a divorce. He had started drinking. He was at the worst place in his life. And on the worst day of his life, a man in our church called him and said, buddy, how can I pray for you? And that was a turning point for him. He started coming to church because somebody reached out to him 
And now guess what? He got remarried back to his wife. He lives in a different place. But, th but the Lord started to move in that because somebody was willing to reach out. There was another, another testimony came just this week. A guy in our church saw all the bickering going on, on on Facebook and he saw a guy say something on there and rather than respond on Facebook, you know what he did? Because this guy was saying, you know, this is why I hate all the churches around here, yada, 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 you know, going on like how they do. Because... Uh, but, but he, he said instead of responding on Facebook, trying to correct him on Facebook, he called him on the phone and he said, man, I just wanted to call you to tell you how much Jesus loves you and I wanted to see if there's anything I could pray for you about. You know what that guy said? He cussed. He said, ain't nobody ever give a blank about me enough to call me and say something like this to me. It messed with him in a good way. The guy didn't judge him. He called him to remind him of God's love. Got another testimony of somebody who, God forbid, went to a restaurant with a bar in it down here in, in town. And while they're sitting there eating their cheeseburger, they see somebody that they know that's been going through such loss, such pain that most of you couldn't even imagine. And they've been struggling. They've even been drinking a little bit. Well, you know what? It opened the door for them to go have a conversation. And a tear comes down this guy's eye as he's sitting there hearing about how much God loves him, even when he's going through this brokenness and pain. Well, guess what it leads them into? They end up going over into the bar section. They get in a conversation with the bartender. Are you serious? You know who that sounds like to me? Jesus. They have a conversation with the bartender. She ends up. Shedding some tears because she recognizes that the Lord's calling her and she senses the love of God in her heart. What's my point in saying all this? Look, I, I, I'd never hate on any other churches or church leaders, but what, what I'm saying right now is I'm, I'm wanting to check my own heart. What I've seen this week in these things like this is, is that I want to be sure that I never become a religious leader that makes anybody feel like somehow they are cut off from the hand of God. That somehow the church rejects them or hates them. No, Jesus goes after the one, no matter what one that is. And we have to have way more strategic means of going after the broken and the lost. We can't expect them to live like us, folks. They don't know the Lord. If they knew the Lord, look, if you know the Lord, I'm going to put a higher standard on you. If you don't know the Lord, I'm going to love on you and try to get introduce you to Him. And the good shepherd goes after the lost one to bring them back into the fold. Jesus wants us to figure out how to go after the one. Amen. Amen. Does this make sense to you? And I hope you can receive that in such a way because, because in our community, here's what I really feel like the Lord was saying to me. It's not that we're saying, well, you shouldn't. I'm not here to say a negative word about anybody. What I'm here to say is we need to evaluate our own hearts as a church in this community to say we don't want to be of that religious fold that just pushes people away. We need to find strategic ways to reach out to people in their brokenness. Amen. So 23 verse 4, I'm finishing up. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, the shadow of death... Jesus, I need you to understand, now death is only a shadow. You get scared of it, nobody wants to die, but now death is only a shadow because Jesus entered into it and conquered it. But sometimes sheep go astray and they walk into that valley and the shadow of death comes over them. But guess what? Because of what Jesus has done, it has been defeated and you don't have to be fearful of a stinking shadow because on the other side there's eternal life. And he says when we walk through that valley of the shadow of death, when we go through hard times, he says, I will fear no evil. 
Jesus, one of Jesus' most favorite statements was, do not be afraid. He wanted you to make sure that you were secure and at rest and you were not afraid of the evil. And a lot of times, we're getting into Halloween season, y'all. There's spooks and goblins everywhere. Can I tell you something? That Jesus is more powerful than any form of darkness that you will ever come into contact with. Any evil, any demon that you come into contact with will bow at the name of Jesus. And because you are with the shepherd, you can know and rest secure that I don't have to be afraid of this evil because I have the one who is in power over all things. But he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, like I told you before, the good news about the rod is yeah, every now and then the Lord will have to correct me, right? He'll hit me with a rod in the back of the leg. I'll be like, oh, oh. But he's correcting me lovingly to keep me on a healthy path for my life. But the rod also, what does it do? It whacks a wolf, just like I said. But then he has the rod and the staff that comforts us. The staff is this. You put that picture up. See that little, like it's got a ring around, loop around there. So like if I, if I start going in a bad direction, you know, he just pull me on back. It comforts us. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. And you can know that in life, the Holy Spirit will come to comfort you when you're broken. He'll come to love on you. He'll pick you up and carry you when you, need, when you need that carrying. And when you walk in a different direction, He's going to pull you back and say, no, you need to come back in this direction. And oftentimes, God will use things in our life just to pull us back and get us back on path. And lastly, verse 5 and 6 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. I love this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It doesn't say you prepare a table before me in the absence of my enemies. Most people want everything defeated. You want depression and fear and anxiety and, 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 and a broken relationship and everything defeated before you come and feast at God's table. Now what he's saying is when you're going through that and you're facing all the enemies, come and eat at the table right now in the presence of those enemies. When you're battling addiction, when you're, when you're struggling with some kind of sin, don't Stay away from the table. Come and eat and dine in the presence of your enemies. And when you eat in the presence of your enemies, He will anoint your head with oil, representative of the Holy Spirit. He will break that yoke of addiction that is on your life. And your cup from within will begin to overflow and the power of God will flow through you to others. Amen. And here's the last verse. It says, Surely, not maybe, but surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now he says, goodness and mercy will follow. The Hebrew word there is a hunting word. It means that it will chase you, it will pursue you, it will hunt you down. And I know most folks probably think, you know what? Surely this evil is going to follow me all the days of my life. Surely my shame is going to follow me all the days of my life. Surely my pain... Surely some crazy demon in darkness is going to follow me all the days of my life. You need to get a perspective shift because the thing that is running you down and chasing you down right now is the goodness and the mercy and the loving kindness of God. All the days of your life, God is running you down with His goodness, with His mercy. He's chasing after you with it. He's hunting you down. He is pursuing you. you got to have a new perspective because He says lastly, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's what we want. Jesus offers us eternal life. And we need to understand that, that if we are going to be a church that shepherds our community, we want to bring people into this fold so that they can know the same love of God that we know. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning.
let's just take a moment to pray. And you know, sometimes I just like to give people an opportunity as an act of faith just to respond to what the Lord's doing in their heart. And uh, if you're here this morning and you sense the Holy Spirit just knocking on your door and saying, you know what, you've, you, you've strayed away, but you're my sheep. And I'm calling you back home. And you want to say this morning, that's, that's me. I want to come back to Jesus. I want to come to Jesus. I want to turn from sin. I want to turn from all these things that are going on in my life. I need healing in my heart. I need forgiveness of sins. I want to have that assurance of eternal life. If that's you and you want to surrender your heart to the Lord this morning, surrender the Holy Spirit and His work in your life, would you just as an act of faith just raise your hand right now?